everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. The podcast from movie fans for the movie fans. I am your That's host, you. Ryan Denley. Yes, that is you. And I'm joined by, was it uh, San Jose Earthquakes? San Jose Quakes jersey yeah. clad Rob Dunham. Yeah, it's like the diagonal lines represent um, earthquake tremor patterns, which is an interesting thing. Interesting. I, I would initially said maybe fault lines or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, huh. yeah it's pretty cool. cool. I like the story of the jersey. There's, it's a yeah, good one. It's a good story. This is not a soccer jersey podcast, though. This is not a soccer jersey podcast. This is, in fact, a movie podcast. And we have great stuff in store for you. <clears throat> we will, of course, run down the box office for you. We will talk about Netflix uh, going all in on Red Notice and an update on the ever-changing and highly ridiculous Rust saga. And we will also discuss best supporting actors, which will should be fun and interesting. Um, and of course, our watch list. Let's get started, Rob. Let's do the box office to kick off. Uh, so there was not a ton new in over the past couple of weeks, uh, but Spider-Man continues to dominate the box office, 32, another 32.6 million, which brings its total so far in domestic box office to 668 million. Fantastic performance from Spider-Man. Really, really game-changing. Uh, Sing 2 continues to be strong. It came in number two at 11.6, and that has now eclipsed the $100 million mark. Uh, the only new movie on the list is from this past week was the 355 at 4.6 million. Uh, you have the King's Man at number four, 3.2, and American Underdog at 2.3. All right, Rob, what do you make of box office? I just think it's continuing to be impressive how Spider-Man is having staying power, although I'm not surprised mm -hmm. it because I think it's a really well done movie. Yeah. And People are getting excited about it, they're hearing about it, and they're actually going out to see it, which is how it used to be. I know, right? <laughs> it kind of feels like this is a movie that is returning people to the way they used to watch movies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think it's also benefiting from the fact that as more people who saw it talk about it, they're like, oh, I want to go see it again. And so I'm guessing you're getting a lot of people going to see it multiple times because it uh, it really was quite good. And and there's a lot to enjoy and there's a lot to appreciate about the movie. Um, um, I think another thing to be pointed mm -hmm. out is the fact that you didn't say The Matrix in that list of movies. You I just did listed. not say The Matrix. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm sure they're not necessarily super pleased with how that's turned out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious that the, the dual release model is, has been done for a while. And Matrix certainly was an example of a film that was absolutely hurt by a defunct and old model. And uh, that model made sense at the very beginning, but it was always a little dubious when they announced they were going to continue it for the entire year. And I, I think that is probably that. And I would say the lackluster nature of the movie itself contributed to that. Um, one thing I think is interesting is um, the King's man, which did not have a great monetary debut 
has held relatively steady for several weeks now. Uh, so people are going to see this movie. They're just doing it very slowly. <laughs> and, and so it didn't, it didn't have massive drop-offs. It's just kind of been slow and steady on that particular movie. And American Underdog has had good staying power too. Uh, in in the same vein as that, uh, the three point the four point six for the three fifty five is not that surprising. Also, I would we can talk about that in a moment, but I'm not that surprised that it was not super popular. Uh, yeah, so that's where we stand at the box office. Now we do have a couple of movies that are opening this week. And I'm going to throw the 355 in here because we didn't talk about it last week. Uh, the three movies we have that are relatively new will be Scream, which I know, Rob, you're planning on seeing this week, and Bell, And we'll throw in the 355. So, of course, Scream, if you are unfamiliar, is a kind of a remake as it were of the original scream which came out oh, it was about 25 years ago or somewhere along the late 90s it came out um and this movie basically it's 25 years after the original series of murders in woodsboro and the new ghost face emerges and sydney prescott must return to uncover the truth this of course will star uh, nev campbell and courtney cox and david arquette uh, so you get you're getting some of your original people in there, as well as a new cast of uh, younger people as well. Uh, so that is Scream, and the next one you have is Bell. Bell is an anime movie which is hitting the theaters, and it's Susie is a shy high school student living in a rural village. For years, she had been only been a shadow of herself. Now she enters you, a massive virtual world. She escapes into her online persona as Belle, a globally beloved singer. So that is that particular release. And uh, with the 355, you have a, it's, it's a basically a female cast spy movie. Uh, so a top secret agent falls into mercenary hands, a Wild card CIA agent joins forces with three international uh, agencies on a lethal mission to retrieve. Oh, it's a top secret weapon falls into mercenary hands. And then this international group of spies uh, attempts to retrieve it. So this has a big cast. This has Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz, Bing Bing Fan, uh, and uh, Diane Kruger. So there's, there's a lot of uh, big name female star power in this one. And it's kind of a, a female spy thriller, as it were. Uh, so, Rob, uh, what, what do you make of this week's releases? Well, I like you said, I am going to see Scream. It is the fifth movie in the franchise. Um, there have been four previous ones, all with an, the original and then the next three with the numbers after two, three and four. So I, I am interested in seeing what they do with this. Like you said, it is kind of retelling, but it's also um, bringing back some of the old characters into the story to start, I guess, a new generation for people. Um, I know a lot of people my age will be interested in seeing it. I'm not sure if the if it connects with the younger audience or not. I guess we'll find out how it does. But usually 
um, legacy horror movies like this seem to do pretty well in the box office, and they usually don't cost very much to make. So yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if this does pretty well. Um, I'll be seeing it tomorrow night in Harrisburg, so looking forward to that. Nice. Um, uh, the 355 uh, liked it better when it was called Ocean's 8. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, like watching the trailer for this, I got a lot of that vibe from this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it's going to be more action oriented than the Ocean's movie was. Maybe a little more violence. Um, it certainly has potential, but it's not something that I'm jumping up and down to go see. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as Bell goes, I just heard about it right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. What's interesting about Bell to me is that you're starting to see a lot more anime make major releases in box office. Um, they're not confined to indie theaters or indie art house type stuff. Uh, this is probably the third or fourth in the last six months that has come out and, and been widely available in, in theaters. Uh, maybe that's partially because of you know where we're at with movies and a bunch of stuff getting bumped. There's been room for, on the docket for it. But it might also mean that you're starting to see a wider inroads for anime in the box office in the U.S., which, which is interesting. I'm, I'm not particularly a fan of anime myself, um, mostly because I don't, I don't really enjoy the art style um that's that's been my main beef i I hear they have great storylines and really complex intricate stories for a lot of them uh but it's just not my cup deep but i do find it interesting that you're seeing a lot more in the box office yeah a lot of these have been previously just like you said either independent theaters or they might release them for a night or two as like a fathom events type yeah thing but we are starting to see a couple of them actually have wide releases which is interesting Mm -hmm. and i think with the 355 rightly or wrong i think one thing that has to be talked about i think sometimes i think movies of this type rely on basically hey we have an all-female cast come see it as opposed to putting the necessary elements into creating a great story for an all-female cast And I think that's what I think we've seen in previous instances where you're rolling out, um, I would say like Ghostbusters, the the female version of Ghostbusters uh, suffered from this. I think even to an extent Ocean's 8 did, even though I didn't I didn't hate the movie. Um, I I think there needs to be more focus on story. Um, and I don't know if 355 does that or not. So I think, but that is, that has, it's happened a number of times. So I wonder if that hurts those type of things going in. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the box office for this week. Make sure you go and check it out. And, uh, of course your, your major releases we talked about are still in the theaters. Uh, let's move on to a couple other stories. Uh, And the first one we have on tap is Netflix uh, is bringing back Red Notice. Yes, Netflix has agreed to produce two more Red Notice movies. Uh, Now, of course, the first one did quite well on Netflix, starring Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot and uh, The Rock. And as a result of its success, uh, they're going to produce two more Back and shoot them back to back. Uh, production will begin early next year and uh, will depend a little bit on the co-stars. Apparently, they are coming back. And uh, 
so the the goal here is to kind of use red notice in a similar way that the oceans movies in the early 2000s did uh, to have have a similar cast where you you do several heist stories in a row um, conceivably they would have some tangible link uh, in one form or another uh, but this was this was interesting because this was an expensive this was an expensive uh, bargain for Netflix at the beginning uh, so they must have been very pleased with the results of it and and are moving forward and back-to-back shoots have become more popular especially when it comes to franchise films i mean most most famously lord of the rings did this where they shot all of them at the same time uh, but you've seen it in other in other cases um as the the article references uh avengers affinity war and end games pirates of the caribbean home games uh, and uh, the upcoming Avatar sequels as well. Uh, so, Rob, what do you make of the news of back-to-back Red Notice movies? Have you seen Red Notice? I have seen Red Notice. Okay. Um, then you, I, I actually saw it this week. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the movie itself um, mm-hmm. in our watch list. But the entire movie was to set up more movies. Yes. Like that was the entire purpose of the movie. So <laughs> I'm not surprised at all by this news. Cause as soon as I watched it the other day, I thought, Oh, this is going to be more mm-hmm. because uh, given who's involved and uh, the quality of the movie, it just made sense that, you know, they're going to make more after this because it's just entirely set up to end in a place where, all right, we're making more now. Um, some movies, just have that that feeling at the end, mm-hmm. and this one had it stronger than a lot of other movies I've seen. Yeah, like it kind of just felt like it. The movie itself was really good, but at the end, you're like, "Oh, so that was just like an advertisement for the movies that are going to be coming out." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm also not surprised. I mean, Netflix has been sending spending just ridiculous amounts of money for their movies. Um. And towards towards the production of new films. Uh, I think it was, I mean, we can get into it when we do the watch list and you actually talk about it then. Uh, but I thought it was it was good enough to to warrant seeing seeing this particular crew again, even though I have I have some some issues with it, but um, it was always going to be some kind of a draw with that cast. Uh, it was always going to be something that people were like, well, I have to check it out because I like all three of these particular actors and uh, it'd be interesting to see what they all look like together. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised that Netflix went this route um, as they continue to just attempt to build their, their franchises and filmmaking prowess. Um, the back-to-back shoots is interesting because it wouldn't necessarily seem to me like this would have to be the way they went with it. Um, with the Lord of the Rings, it makes sense because you're in one, you're in like this crazy fantasy setting and you've got everyone out there at these remote locations. And that made more sense. This, this one to me wouldn't necessarily have to be shot that way. Um, so I'm wondering if it's just uh, more a matter of convenience than it is uh, anything else like let's get them all together let's put out a couple of these movies and because I mean obviously these are big time actors so their schedules are pretty tight um, so I, I'm interested to see what what will come as a result of this yeah I definitely think it's an issue of making the scheduling 
uh, more feasible for everybody to just do it all yeah. in one shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing that they have, uh, have paid quite a bit for these actors to do this again. So <laughs> um, I, I don't know about you, but like, I'm still, I'm still, I understand that the production value is slowly getting better on these streaming service movies. I still have slight problems taking them quite as seriously as I do films that I see in theaters. I don't know if that's kind of the leftover remnants of like how the movie industry used to be, where you have the direct to video stuff was never as good a quality and, and the stuff that they intentionally skipped theaters wasn't that good, but I don't know. I, I just, I'm still having a harder time finding the same level of appreciation and enjoyment. And maybe it's just my desire to see things in the box office. I don't know. I, I thought that this movie in particular was probably the best I have seen when it comes to something that mm-hmm. uh, a streaming service has put out on their own. Um, yeah. I, 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 I don't have too many issues with it. We'll talk about it mm-hmm. um, later, like you said. Um, but there were parts of it that actually I found impressive. So mm-hmm. I hadn't really necessarily thought that way about any other ones I had seen in the same model. Yeah. And I would agree. It's certainly one of the best ones that I've seen from a streaming service. That, that is definitely true. All right. Anything else on that one? Nope. All right. Now we'll move on to the next story. And so I thought we talked about this a number of weeks ago, right after it happened. Uh, but I thought we'd just give us a, a kind of an update on what's going on with the Rust story. So this continues to be a mess. It continues to involve, evolve and change. And, and there's so many aspects to this. It's almost hard to keep track of, even as you're reading the articles on this, as to what exactly is going on. Uh, so just to recap, uh, October 2021, there was a accidental shooting on the set of the indie Western film Rust, in which uh, lead actor Alec Baldwin, uh, when playing around with what was supposed to be a prop gun, uh, discharged live rounds and and killed uh, the cinematographer and injured and wounded the director of the film. Ever since then, it's been a whirlwind of what happened, who's responsible. Um, You had all kinds of things take place uh, that talked about just absolute chaos on the set from some of the crew going on strike to the armor, not being around to an assistant producer uh, distributing guns that he hadn't checked and hadn't test fired. You have the, you know, the actor uh, not test firing weapons. It's the whole thing is, was a mess and it was a, a complete bungle of any kind of safety regulations. But now as everyone's trying to investigate to see what exactly happened, um, all the key players that have emerged in, in this particular uh, thing, there's really three of them. There is uh, the armor, who is uh, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, and you have uh, the assistant director or the assistant, it's the props manager, Zachary. Uh, I'm trying to find the, the names here real quick. There's one where they were listed off there out. So you have the the props manager, you have the armor, and you have the assistant producer. Those are kind of the three main players in this particular one. Um, And the story we'll link to 
basically talk, attempt is kind of attempting to figure out uh, who's responsible for there being live rounds. And the story basically is about the armor is suing an ammo supplier over the, the rounds that killed the cinematographer. Basically the armor is armor's contention is that the supplier mixed live rounds in with non-live rounds when they distributed them to the set. Um, but it's very complicated because the, the company distributing them said they only distribute parts of bullets and they don't distribute live ammunition. Uh, this is, this is very strange. It's, it's very, it's very like everyone's trying to pass the buck on this. Um, but it's clear something crazy happened. Rob, what did you make of this? One thing I've learned about tragedy in general, it seems like is the more you try to understand it, the less it's going to be understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that really applies to the situation because I think it was a confluence of events, not just one person uh, who, whose fault it was in the end. Um, One thing I found very interesting in the story is that they say there's not even any video footage of what happened because the people who were in charge of recording went on strike like the day before. Yeah. So they weren't even there. So there's no video of what actually happened. And when that happens, it's going to be really difficult to figure out who may or may not be responsible or what could have been done differently if you can't actually see what did happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, if you've been around anyone who is, who is a big gun person, safety is one of the big things that they emphasize. Um, holding the gun properly, loading the gun properly, making sure all of that type of things. There is, there is a culture of safety around most gun enthusiasts. And it's amazing to me, like the casual nature that we see that almost everyone on the set was handling these things. I mean, the, the idea that you would even have uh, the potential to have live rounds on the set mixed in with blank rounds. I just, I don't even understand how that's even remotely possible. And it's just, it's very, very strange. It's very, very strange. The, the just the levels of safety failures that went along this way. Yeah, it's not like it's not like he like picked the gun up and aimed it at someone and shot it. Like he was practicing a a move, yes, a quick draw move, and it accidentally discharged as he was doing it. So it's like I said, it's just a tragedy all around that is going to be difficult to try and really understand. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of legal investigations going on. All three of the main kind of the main people have. Uh, have gotten lawyers and are are working in that direction and trying to cast blame as to who is who is where, um, and and there's some there's some issues as to whether or not Alec Baldwin is or is not cooperating with the investigation. He says he is. Uh, other people have claimed he's not. Um, apparently, they don't have his cell phone now. Whether or not they have a warrant or have asked for it is unclear. Um, but this this is just a mess. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that uh, lessons can be learned from this about following safety. But we'll keep you updated as anything big breaks on that particular story. Uh, anything else on that, Rob? 
Uh, I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, so let's go on to our discussion item for today. And uh, I, I thought this would be an interesting one to discuss. Uh, we are getting closer to the time where people start talking about Oscars and those type of things. And there's always an, uh, a, an award for uh, best supporting actor. Now, that got me thinking about this idea of there are excellent actors who rarely play in lead roles, but who have made excellent careers out of being supporting actors, um, second men in films, um, you know, other cast members who, who get regular work and who are excellent in films, but don't generally get the lead roles. Uh, so I thought we'd, we'd talk about those a little bit. Who, who might those be? Uh, what are some of our favorite supporting actors? And this doesn't mean that they've never been a lead actor. It's just that their primary career in Hollywood has been as a secondary actor. Uh, so, Rob, did you were you able to come up with any? Uh, I I looked through and saw found a, a couple that I thought might fit this description. Um, yeah. One that I find uh, interesting because he used to be more of a lead actor, but is now more of a supporting actor. We talked about him a lot on the show michael kane mm, um, yeah. um because in like uh, when he was first starting out his career he was more of a lead man if you look at the original italian job he was lead guy in that but now he serves that kind of older wiser um mentor type figure in a lot of movies as a supporting actor how about you yeah yeah i have a couple and i i decided i went a little bit i i went on ones that um I broke it down into a couple categories for myself. One, ones that are just straight up, hey, these guys have been primarily supporting actors. They've had great careers. They're excellent actors. And then I did a couple that were like um, people who, who typically play certain roles. Um, so the first one I picked was, and I have never been able to do a great job pronouncing this guy's name, uh, Chiwetel Ijiofer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce it. He's an English actor, a writer, director. Uh, he has been a lead man, but he is primarily in other films as, as, a, as a secondary actor. And uh, his, career is, his career is pretty great. He's, he's been in Doctor Strange, Secret in Her Eyes, The Martian. Um, he's, uh, what else? He's been in Salt 2012 endgame like he's got he's got a huge role he's in all kinds of films and he's almost always a secondary actor but he always stands out he always gives great performances and he's he's really had a distinguished career even though i can't pronounce his name <laughs> uh so yeah i've always found him very very compelling and of course, his he's probably he's possibly most known for uh, he received nominations for his role as twelve in Twelve Years a Slave, which he was a primary actor. Uh, but he's been in a ton a ton of movies. Uh, I have another one that I have that is kind of uh, in the Michael Caine esque mm -hmm. uh, field would be Jim Broadbent, mm. and I think a lot of people wouldn't even recognize that name, which I think makes him like a really good supporting actor slash character actor i was actually listening to an interview um christopher russo uh the mad dog on sirius xm was interviewing someone after sydney potier's death this last week and he said that 
the guy he interviewed works for Turner Classic Movies and said that one of the things he always tells supporting actors who he appreciates when he sees them is that you make the movie better that you're mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, and Jim Broadbent uh, was in Cloud Atlas. He was in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, Professor Slughorn. He has been in a whole lot of movies, and he's always just kind of there in the background, like you said, like almost a part of the setting. Like he's not a major actor, but the parts that he has are important and help move the story forward. Um, and like I said, I think he's so good at it that a lot of people don't even know his name. Like that, I, I say that name, and probably a lot of people would have no idea what he, this person even looks like. But mm-hmm. they would recognize him as soon as they saw him on the screen. And there's another term for these kind of actors is that guy. Remember that guy who was, <laughs> yeah? And yeah. that, oh, it's that guy, that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, and there are a lot of those all around. And I think he's one of the best um, in recent times, Jim Broadbent. Yeah. And I think you make a great point in there in that these, <clears throat> these actors really do make a lot of films. Uh, because the better your supporting cast acting is, the higher the threshold for how good your film can be. And, and when your other actors have great performances to, in support of your lead actors, it really just makes the entire rest of the film seem better. And uh, the, the next guy on my list is, is very similar in that, in that avenue. And that's uh, Jimon Hanso. Uh, the West African actor, you know, kind of a French descent. Uh, he has been a lead actor a couple times, uh, Blood Diamond being one of, the, one of the key ones, though he was still kind of a supporting actor in Blood Diamond. Um, he's been in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's been in The King's Man. You know, he's played, uh, a quiet, he's been in A Quiet Place, Part 2, Shazam, Captain Marvel. Like, he's, he's just a guy all over the place in the, uh, playing secondary roles. Uh, most famously for me is when I think of him, I think of Gladiator. He does such a great job in Gladiator as being the second man to uh, Russell Crowe. And, and I've always really enjoyed his performances. Uh, someone else along that line, I think, and I didn't have a chance to look at his IMDb and, and see everything he's been in, but someone that I think is widely respected as just being a good actor, uh, Paul Giamatti. Mm who is, I think, just a great actor. And the scenes that he's in, he is the focal point of those scenes, even if he's not the star. And I, don't, I think he's very rarely been the star of a movie. Um, he has been in some TV shows, um, but he is just an excellent actor uh, across the board. Everything I've seen him in, I've been impressed by uh, Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to lump the last two I have kind of in the same category, even though they're different. They're different. And these are actors who play, who are regularly playing a very specific role. Uh, the first one is, is a guy who's, I, I picked all these guys who I, whose names I have a terrible time pronouncing. Rade Serbedija. <laughs> and probably nobody will know who he is uh but think of him he was he is a guy who's known for playing the russian in a movie he's known for playing a russian most famously mission impossible 2 he was the he was the russian scientist that um 
Ethan Hunt supposedly goes to rescue, but it turns out to be somebody else who's not Ethan Hunt. Uh, but he was also in The Saint. He played in Snatch as Boris the Blade. Um, he's just been in all kinds of movies. He's had a couple decade career basically playing like a Russian character. <laughs> and so there's there's an interesting role for these type of actors who like he's like the stereotypical guy. OK, we need a Russian. This is the guy you go get, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, so between that one and um, I will say another one is Rob Schneider. Uh, Rob Schneider typically plays like the comedic backdrop, particularly in Adam Sandler movies. But basically to have a singular role is to just to be the second man when it came to a comedy. Um, and that's that's been Rob Schneider's not Rob Schneider's role. So there's a role for actors to play like a same character over and over again or to fit a specific slot, as it were. Yeah, another one I can think of in that uh, line is Peter Stormare is uh, yes. another one who typically plays like the bad guy with the accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. So there, there's there's a lot of great supporting actors who've, who've really made careers out of not playing lead roles. Uh, so while we tend to think of actors, uh, the big name actors being ones who, who are stars of movies, you can craft a great career in the movies by being a supporting actor. And so many of these uh, that we talked about today have, and they deserve their recognition. All right, Rob, let's get on to the watch list. Uh, these are movies we've watched over the past week and what we thought about them. So, Rob, we know one of the things on your list. What did you watch this week? So I watched Red Notice, as I said, um, and like I said, I was kind of impressed by some of the parts of it. I thought in particular there is a uh, scene where they're fighting on a scaffolding in a museum that I mm -hmm. thought was right up there with most action sequences I've seen in movies. And it was what impressed me was the small space it was happening in mm. because it seemed like it was creative and used the element well and it didn't feel cheesy. Like I, I thought it was just really executed well and Ryan Reynolds did a good job with that. Um, the interplay between Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot, I thought was impressive. I thought it seemed like they had good chemistry on the set. I thought I liked the bad guy character, uh, Soto Voce. I thought he was actually scary. Um, I, I pretty much, I like this movie a good, good bit. So I'm looking forward to seeing more, uh, from this series as they go along. Like I said, it was definitely a build up to the fact that there were going to be more because the movie ended with giving them the red notice, which was the whole point. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised there's going to be more. Uh, I also watched a couple animated movies. I watched uh, both on Disney Plus and Encanto, which just came out uh, about a magical family that gets their uh, powers from a uh, magical candle that helps each person in the family to have a special gift that helps uh, preserve the family and um, the village that they live in and set in Colombia and has a lot of mystical, magical elements to it. Very uh, well shot movie, pretty movie. Um, not my favorite animated movie I've seen lately, but it's still definitely a quality movie. And then I also watched Ron's Gone Wrong, mm. which is also on Disney Plus. And I actually was... Uh, I liked this movie. I thought it had a, a different type of story than we've seen in some animated movies. And it really focuses in on 
um, what happens when technology uh, doesn't function the way it's supposed to. And we saw this somewhat in the movie uh, uh, Mitchell's versus the machines on Netflix has the same kind of conceit, I guess, but this one felt a little more personal centered on the one character. And I think did a really good job of telling the story and explaining some of the dangers of what can happen if we become so focused on technology and being liked by everyone through our technology that we lose sight of what's happening in the world around us. So Ron's gone wrong. Also starring Zach Galifianakis as the robot, which is great because I love Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I'll start off. I'll just give you my, my comment about Red Notice and, and see what you think about it. One thing that I thought overall it was it was a well done film. One thing that kind of I thought it got too often got caught in between whether it wanted to be a a like a comedy satire film and actually like genre specific. So it was it was a little bit in between at times whether it just wanted to be a funny comedy or whether it wanted to actually be a heist movie. Like I, I felt like at times the the balance of that wasn't quite didn't quite strike uh, as well as it could have. Um, I I just I just thought there were some elements in there where it couldn't decide exactly or couldn't like it was trying to strike a specific tone. I didn't think it quite hit it at all moments. Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism, but I also I kind of think that's what they were trying to do. So yeah, <laughs> I think they would take your criticism and be like, yeah. You got it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it, like may not, could, it may not land with everybody, like you said. Yeah, it's like you could tell what they were trying to do with it. I just don't know that they did it as well as they were hoping they would. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it quite reached. Like, I, I think we've and you mentioned it earlier in the movie, the or earlier in the podcast, the movie that really nailed that feel perfectly is probably Ocean's Eleven yes. with Brad Pitt and George mm-hmm. Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what the next ones are. Uh, for me, uh, I watched uh, really two movies this week. Uh, my wife wanted to go see West Side Story. So I went to the theaters and saw West Side Story. Um, it's it's kind of funny. My wife's like, oh, I really want to go see this. I haven't seen it in forever. And then she forgot the fact that it was a tragedy. Uh, and <laughs> it was like, how did you forget that? That's kind of like the whole point of it. That is the one thing I remember from watching the original, like, two decades ago was that it's a tragedy (laughs) but um i would say like how was the remake the remake was fine as it were um i guess it was an updated version um i thought the performances were fine um I'm, i'm not a big fan of musicals so that's something for me the the thing that always gets me about west side story is I, I just have a hard time taking gangs seriously when all they do is sing and dance. <laughs> That's just, and it's part of the musical genre, but it just makes it hard for me to take, to take them seriously as gangs. And that's, that's kind of the crux of uh, my critique about West Side Story. And it's, it's, that's not necessarily specific to this movie. It's just the nature of what they produced. Um, but it is interesting to go back into the historical context and figure out what, what's going on. The, the idea of, of it taking place, because this movie really, it takes place in the 50s, 
but the original one was built was done in 1961, so it was really, really close to the time frame that it was actually supposed to be relevant to. Uh, but it was it was really about the changing of the of the Upper West Side of Manhattan and and how that change. Uh, uh, what what some of the change? What was the result of some of that change? And, and so, um, yeah, it was fine. You know, it it did it need to be remade? Eh, whatever. <laughs> I I guess it's a newer version, but yeah. Um, the second thing I saw was I finished off the uh, the current installments of the Fantastic Beast series by seeing the Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, I I like for me I like this one a little bit better than Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, but I think it's just it's not even close to the same plane that the Harry Potter uh, films are. It's just it's kind of resting on the fumes of what is Harry Potter. Like the stories are not as good. The, and, and one thing that I think really really strikes you about Harry Potter is the sense of awe and wonder at the magical world. And I just don't think the Fantastic Beast movies have any of that to them. And yeah, I just, it's, it's clear this was an after that this, these series were kind of for, I don't want, for lack of a better term, they were afterthoughts, you know, I don't think they spent nearly as much time, energy and care crafting the world uh, that they take place in as they did with Harry Potter. Yeah, I can't disagree with that statement. All right, you got anything else, Rob? Not much. I'm ready to go. Be scared tomorrow. Yay. All right. There you go. <laughs> okay, well, that is all the time we have. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Film for Fans podcast. Uh, be sure you check out filmforfans.com. Rate, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it, and go out there and see the movies. Until next time, enjoy the movies.